I, I can't tell you the number of times we've come to a hard decision. Uh, it could be a, an economic decision. It could be a decision related to a person, um, you know, or any other decision for that matter. And it's real simple. If, if there's a debate, we go back and say, wait a minute, we're going to do what's right. What do you think the right thing to do is? Do that, right? And it's uh, the other key component of that is it's super simple, right? So from a decision-making and a leadership perspective, it's not tough to remember, we're going to do what's right. And not many people are, are going to dispute that one. Um, and we live by it, frankly. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Calling all thrill makers, fun creators, and attraction pros. Get ready for the ride of a lifetime at IAPA Expo 2023, the global attractions industry's premier event. Join us in Orlando, November 13th to the 17th for a week of learning, networking, and exploring trends and new technologies. Discover innovative solutions for growth that will supercharge your business and enhance your career. Register by November 10th at iapa.org slash iapaexpo. That's I-A-A-P-A dot org slash I-A-A-P-A-E-X-P-O to save up to 30% and get an additional $10 off with the code APROS. That's A-P-R-O-S. We'll be there, and we hope to see you too. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Good. <laughs> and I have a question for you. Yes, and? I... <laughs> I know you are big on reviews, um, interpreting them, looking for trends, but I'm cu curious as a consumer, have you ever left a five-star review for any experience that you've ever had? I would say, I don't, I'm going to sound like the Dos Equis guy right now. I don't leave reviews very often, but when <laughs> I do, it is usually because it's a five-star review. <laughs> Tell me more. I don't, I don't always leave reviews. Um, <laughs> well, okay. I mean, if, if you want to go into my whole uh, philosophy on guest feedback, if you have anything less than five-star, you should be telling the business directly and hopefully have that conversation internally. People use review sites often as the, uh, as the default outlet, but if an, an organization is properly soliciting and collecting feedback from their guests and having those open communication channels that anything less than five star is going to stay within within the domain and within the realm of of the business itself but if i've had such a fantastic experience oftentimes i, I might even do both if it's if it's that good i might i might let them know so they've got it through their private channels and then yeah i'm absolutely going to want to share it with the world when I can tell you that it, when I think about the five-star reviews that I've posted, it usually, it might be about the experience in general, but oftentimes there were one or more people who made that experience 
what it was. So for instance, if we were to, to go back at a few months ago when, when we were talking about, uh, we, were, we were recapping some travel that we had, yeah. uh, the beach server, Almond, at the Ritz-Carlton Turks and Caicos, uh, he's in my review because a five-star review, and here's, here's a, a did you know interesting stat, uh, I'm probably going way off the rails here of, of anything you, you expected from asking me this question here, but you knew what you were getting into when you asked me I about I did, review. 100%. A five-star review is significantly more likely to mention an individual's name and an interaction than even a four-star review. So if you pull up TripAdvisor or Google reviews and you separate out and say, okay, here's all our five-star reviews, here's all our four-star reviews, you're going to see people mentioned way more in your five-star reviews than even in your four stars. Would you also say that to leave a five-star review, there had to be some sort of emotional connection or experience and it probably wouldn't be just a transaction. Yes. <laughs> how, how much further do you want me to go? <laughs> I, it, we need to intentionally be delivering an experience that exceeds our guests' expectations that then leads to that five-star review. It doesn't happen by chance and it doesn't just happen through the transactions. So why do you think I asked you about five-star reviews? <laughs> well, Matt, our <laughs> guest today is John Dunlap, and he is the chief executive officer of Five Star Parks and Attractions. I am guessing it was no accident when they named that company that they said, this is the experience we are going to deliver. This is the company that we are going to build. The company is, is very new. It's less than two years old at the time of this recording, and they have acquired uh, at, at this time, I think by the time it airs, it's probably going to be even more. They're, they're acquiring and they're building from the ground up 27. Again, that number is only you know relevant today because it's only going up. Uh, family entertainment centers. And you and I learned a new term today, and that is micro amusement park. I really like that term. Um, I've been in some what you might consider traditional family entertainment centers that have an arcade and go-karts and things like that. And then you know, maybe I visited them 10 years ago and then I visited them again and I noticed how they have blossomed. And I walked in, and I'm like, this is a small amusement park, you know, mm -hmm. and I never used the word micro, but I thought it was such a, a great way to kind of categorize what we're what we're seeing and what we're experiencing. And I really like the way that John talked about it, uh, but it really does start to even further blur the lines of these entertainment facilities that fall under the attractions umbrella. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether it is a traditional family entertainment center or um, a game center or, you know, laser, whatever it is, um, you know, you can put those labels on it. But at the end of the day, every place has pretty much the same goal, right? They want people to come in, spend time with their families and friends and have fun and leave with really, really great memories. And when that's done very well, and when you infuse that personalization of the experience, on the other side of that, you get a five-star experience. A five-star experience. So speaking of five-star five experience and, and how John has gotten to where he is, one of the things he talks about beyond you know telling us an, a new term was that along his 
path in his career, he's kind of been the exact customer that he has been trying to entertain. So for example, when his kids were young, he was working at the San Diego Zoo and it was great to be able to see the uh, experience and the operation through their lens. And then, you know, now his kids are a little older and now he's with Five Star Parks and, you know, the experience that that they have now are a little more thrilling, a little more daring. And so his children are a little older and he'll tell you that they will give you the unabashed review, right? They'll tell you the good, the bad, and they won't hold back. So, um, you know, he really said that that has helped him be the perfect exact customer that he was trying to reach as an executive in that organization. Yeah, he said that the best guest feedback that he gets comes from his kids, which yeah. I, I think is really saying something and shows how how important it is that he is there as a guest, as a customer with his family and getting that real time feedback. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the best avenues to be able to, to understand what, what the guest experience is like and being able to see it through the lens of the guest. And in his case, those who those who he cares the most about as well. Absolutely. Yeah. We also talk about, and uh, and I think this is something that we all really need to recognize and we need to embrace, and that's that attractions are a luxury. Whether it is an amusement park, whether it's a zoo, museum, aquarium, a family entertainment center, a micro amusement park, uh, you know, John says, you know, we're, we're competing for the limited share of wallet that people have and recognizes we're living in times with, with inflation, prices of everything have gone up. Uh, so when we see guests in our facility, in our in our parks, in our attractions, uh, we need to acknowledge that for them, they are doing something uh, outside of where they would normally spend their money. And to them, this is a luxury. Would you also say going back a couple of years, it's an essential luxury? <laughs> attractions being essential you know i think there is there's absolutely something to the experience that is essential to the core of who we are as human beings right to go have fun and to escape yeah. and things like that and we know that um life can be stressful right and there's a lot of things that people have going on and so i think there is a need for that escape and i think where we have to bring in that luxury piece of it is that they could do anything for that escape Right. Mm -hmm. And when you think about places that might be near another outlet where someone can spend their money, even if it's in sort of a quote unquote competition with video games at home. Right. We've got to be able to attract people and say, this is where you want to spend your money. This is where, you know, we're going to wrap you up with a nice warm hug when you come in and you're going to feel the luxury. You're going to feel how essential this is. And you're going to want to come back and do this again and again. Mm. Very well said. So what do you think? Should we get to this interview with John Dunlap? You know, one of these times we're going to ask ourselves that question. We're going to say, no, we shouldn't, but not today. Today, we absolutely should get to this interview with John. But first, if you're enjoying this podcast, and if you think that this is a five-star experience for your ears and or eyes, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And now to the interview with John Dunlap. Hey, John, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing doing fantastic, as Matt likes to say. Sorry, Matt, I stole that line from you. <laughs> uh, John, as we uh, kick this off here, tell us a little bit about your background and your career. 
You bet. Well, uh, first of all, thanks again for having me on. Um, I have been in the attractions and hospitality business my entire life. Um, you know, starting my career at the ripe old age of 14, uh, working in a kitchen uh, in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, worked every position you could have uh, in the restaurant uh, and entertainment, you know, sort of space and realized that I had to make a career of hospitality. Uh, though uh, my first foray, foray after college, I actually uh, owned a travel and event management company, um, mostly specializing on uh, the college uh, vacation market. And so I did that all throughout college and then uh, ultimately exited that business. Uh, really the advent of, um, you know, the online platforms. It's it's uh, it's funny. Mo most uh, people probably listening to this podcast won't remember a time before Orbitz or Expedia or Travelocity or uh, Hotels.com or Kayak. But uh, uh, there was a time, in fact, when those uh, did not exist and people bought travel uh, the old fashioned way. Um, and I had a great run uh, uh, in and around the travel business. Uh, fell in love really with the hotel space, um, having booked, you know, tens of thousands of hotel rooms as part of my travel business and um, joined Starwood Hotels and Resorts in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And and I like to say I had a, my first career in the hotel space uh, before uh, evolving over into the uh, themed entertainment and attraction business. Um, I worked in um, Atlanta, Bahamas, Kansas City and San Francisco. Uh, in the hotel business with Starwood Hotels and Resorts. Um, and then ultimately went back to business school and um, out of business school, got called by a recruiter uh, to tell me about this opportunity at the San Diego Zoo as executive director. Um, it was a, uh, I still remember that call where I uh, told the recruiter, um, you know, my closet, I wouldn't even know where to, what to wear to the zoo. My closet is all either blue suits or gray suits and either white shirts or blue shirts. And I'm not sure how I would be able to even uh, put together uh, a polo shirt outfit if, uh, if that was necessary. But um, uh, kidding aside, after months of, uh, of, of interviewing back and forth, I was hired as the executive director of the San Diego Zoo. And uh, thus my attractions life was born. And uh, boy, I, I've never looked back. What a wonderful industry. Uh, the attractions business, the theme park business, the zoo business, the aquarium business, um, just about every aspect. Uh, I've had an opportunity to uh, to touch at this point in my career, and I'm madly in love with what we do and uh, happy to talk about it. And so, John, can you bring us up to the present with what you're doing right now? You bet. So uh, presently, I am uh, CEO of Five Star Parks and Attractions. Uh, we are a micro amusement park owner operator. Uh, presently, we own 27 uh, family entertainment centers and micro amusement parks in 13 states. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, in in the attractions industry, if you kind of break it down by segment, there's there's a lot that are, I would say, very well defined, kind of like zoo, museum, aquarium. You, you know what each of those are. When you get into the kind of the FEC, the family entertainment center space, there tends to be a, a lot more gray area. Uh, and you just brought in the term micro amusement park. And that I've got to imagine is probably one of the newer terms that maybe the industry is using. Can you add some definition to that? Say, what's a micro amusement park and how does that differentiate from an FEC? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm, you know, the whole industry in and of itself from amusement park or family entertainment center, if you Google both those terms, they both come up, right? So they're fairly indistinguishable. I think the the present day understood definition would be a theme park would be gated for the most part and a family entertainment center would not be gated. And then you have uh, really a... Um, and when I, when I say gated, I don't mean like physically the gate, but a ticketed, you know, pay a ticket for admission style of attraction. Uh, recently in the last, call it 10 years, uh, we've seen the evolution of the large format indoor family entertainment center, uh, which previously really didn't didn't exist. The majority of, of entertainment centers were, were typically indoor outdoor attractions, call it with say 20 to 25,000 square feet indoors and several acres of outdoor attractions with, you know, putt-putt and, you know, uh, karting and maybe some rides, typically smaller uh, kid-oriented rides. Um, that industry has evolved quite a lot, right? And, and in fact, I would say the largest development engine of the industry presently are uh, 100,000 square foot plus indoor facilities, right? There's a lot of advantages to that. But our original thesis uh, when we decided to start uh, Five Star Parks was we, we saw a, uh, a giant fragmented hole uh, in the corporate operated uh, family entertainment center, right? We call them micro amusement parks because these are really large parks. In fact, our first purchase uh, was the Track Family Fun Parks in Branson, Missouri, and they uh, make up a good part of what is the Branson Strip, right? So, you know, we ha we own three um, eight to ten acre. Uh, 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 they're about a mile apart uh, on the Branson Strip, and they have really large rides like uh, multi level go kart tracks and sky coasters and um, other really uh, exciting and thrilling attractions that are more akin to a theme park than they would be what would be considered the present day understanding of a family entertainment center. So uh, we, we uh, kind of coined uh, the the, uh, the concept of a, a micro amusement park. And, you know, uh, I, I think we're um, uh, pr probably the primary group using that term uh, presently uh, to describe the type of outdoor facilities that we own and operate. Well, I have to say it's the first time I've heard that term micro amusement park. So um if you if you did coin it, I hope you get credit for it. Um, no, we don't. We don't need credit. We hope there are more of them. <laughs> more the merrier. There you go. Well, speaking of the more the merrier, you mentioned you have twenty seven locations, and you know I've got to imagine that they've all got their own personality, their own you know footprint, and that type of thing. So, how do you have sort of that five star feel, or or maybe the question is, what is the five-star feel that you've kind of uh, used to bring all them together? Well, our, our sort of uh, general ethos is we exist to inspire people of all ages to escape and play together. So uh, the ways that that happens based upon uh, the attraction makeup or whether they're indoor, whether they're outdoor, the geographic location, or whether some of our guests are on vacation or whether or not they're local and joining us for a birthday party or a corporate group, uh, in other words, the use occasion um, doesn't really matter. We're still there for one reason, right? Uh, ultimately, to make sure people have a great day um, 
and uh, and 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 do so kind of technology free to the extent possible, right? So you know we've uh, when we when we take over a facility, the facilities that we're looking at um, typically are highly regarded in their own right, right? They are attractions that have been been around for uh, uh, in some cases. 40 years, right? And um, have a staff that have been there in many cases just as long. Uh, some of our team members have been there from the beginning uh, of these locations. Um, and so our goal isn't necessarily to come in and change uh, all of the great aspects of these facilities that have made them successful for decades, literally. Um, but what we do is we um, we believe that we have a, a, a high degree of business sophistication, uh, tools, um, uh, access to data. So, for example, we games. We know uh, across 13 states and 27 locations what games are the most popular. Um, whether or not you know certain games need to be stuffed with plush or stuffed with ticket rings or priced at a certain level or uh, certain limited time offers. LTOs work particularly well in certain markets. So, really, what we're doing is we're we're coming in and providing tools uh, to a management team, which in most almost every location, frankly, has entirely come come with us uh, in the sale of these assets. Um, and we've, we're empowering those leadership teams to do things in most cases that they've wanted to do for years, um, but but haven't, uh, you know, out of uh, limited constraints, uh, financial constraints, or, um, you know, there just wasn't an appetite by the team that owned it to try something new. Uh, so that's a long way of saying that uh, we we really invest in people and teams and existing businesses, and uh, are quite happy to um, uh, allow and encourage the individuality of our of our parks. Um, not really try to jam everything into an existing uh, mold, if that makes sense. Sure. I'm wondering if if maybe we could even kind of take a step back a little bit. You talked about kind of the the thesis, and maybe this is going back a little bit of of kind of like understanding the you know what what is the micro amusement park and understanding the strategy. But can you talk about maybe what what even led to the creation of of this new company and kind of how you were even you were brought on and kind of what you know even even before that first purchase of of the track was made of saying all right this is this is what this business strategy is this you know this new company being formed. Well. Uh, absolutely happy to do that. Um, after the San Diego Zoo, I made an investment in a locate in a park in Miami uh, called Jungle Island. I know you're familiar with uh, that location, and uh, that was a 20 acre park. So as you can imagine, moving from you know a 120 acre park at the San Diego Zoo and a 1700 acre park at our Safari Park location um, to a 20 acre park really required. Um, a, a, a different strategy in terms of the variety of attractions and how you can compel uh, visitors to come and visit your park. Um, uh, after uh, sort of leaving the, um, uh, you know, I sold out of that uh, business to a private equity group and, um, you know, spent a stint at SeaWorld as the president of the West Coast business of SeaWorld. Uh, and I realized, boy, I really missed my roots in um you know in the in the in the smaller more entrepreneurial uh parks obviously it's a very large organization and a wonderful organization and SeaWorld. um but i really missed ha being able to have an impact and ultimately grow the business so um that led me to an introduction to um our original financial sponsors fruition private equity and um they they've been looking at the space for quite a while 
in that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it, it's it's quite fragmented, meaning that uh, most of the you know, modern family entertainment centers have been started by an individual entrepreneur owned and operated for many years. Sometimes they've traded, um, sometimes they've not. Um, but this is this is a perfect scenario for private equity investment, right? You know, private equity investment says, how do we, you know, uh, essentially buy a, a, a high quality um, a platform company and uh, build out a management team and use that management expertise to be able to improve performance, to acquire and then improve performance uh, of of uh, other assets in the space. And so um, I happen to be already looking at the uh, smaller format uh, park space. And that introduction uh, was exactly the right time within you know weeks of meeting up with these guys and realizing that um, we both saw the industry the same way. We had a passion about uh, the attraction space. Uh, we decided to put our uh, our talents together. And and uh, we, like I said before, we initially looked at mostly the vacation destinations. We were looking at Myrtle Beach. We were looking at Pigeon Forge, Branson, um, you know, the Gulf Coast, uh, mostly vacation destinations. And then uh, our thinking evolved as we you sort of got into our first 10 to 15 acquisitions, but uh, we, we realized that the indoor space was a great hedge, but ultimately that's what, what led us is the just general opportunity, not a lot of uh, corporate competition by guys like us um, operating in the space. And we, and we felt like we could add a lot of value. Um, you know, all of our uh, sort of general founding team members have a lot of experience in the attractions business in the larger format, as I mentioned. So, you know, we felt like we could take what we've learned in the big theme park business and and apply it in uh, in this segment. It's worked out really nicely for us so far. Awesome, John. I'm I'm wondering if we can expand on some of those things that you learned because you've been in hospitality for a long time, but in different segments, right? Hotels and tourism, even back to your first job in the kitchen. So I'm wondering about some of the lessons that you've learned over the years that you you still kind of hold dear and have become part of your leadership philosophy. You know, that's I've been really fortunate that I've been in each of these segments at a time where I was the exact customer, right? So when I was in hotels, one thing that I realized is that, um, you know, going to a hotel when I was a kid was, was quite a luxury experience, right? Uh, we didn't go to, I remember, you know, the very first time I ever stayed in a hotel that you uh, went to the rooms from the inside, right? So it was quite a uh, a big deal. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to work in the hotel world, um, I remember what it was like to walk in and see things that were done poorly, right? Uh, thinking that, you know, for many people, this is a magical experience, having an opportunity to uh, stay away from home, and you want that experience to be better um, than, than the place that you just came from, right? So, in fact, that ended up being one of the philosophies to the creation of the heavenly bed and heavenly bath is the desire to create a bedroom that was better than uh, your home bedroom was. Um, but, but in so doing, um, I, I ended up, uh, I, I was sort of mortified by mediocrity uh, when I saw that in the hotel. So I was uh, immediately on a mission um, to, to create special uh, uh, moments for people. And that, it's not just lip service. It really, uh, I really thought about 
how um, how people felt when they spent three, four hundred dollars a night to stay in a luxury hotel and a room service tray. The room service trays were littering a hallway. Right. That was personally offensive to me. So I, I was able to I really loved being in the business, gave me an opportunity to travel uh, all over the world, uh, to stay in some of the finest hotels of the world. And so uh, that made me a better leader in that industry. Um, sort of the same thing when I went to the San Diego Zoo, um, you know, I, uh, I, I just had my my first child. Right. So, you know, walking in and seeing the park through my kids eyes. That gave me a special passion at that point in my life was exactly relevant. Um, and so we were able to make a lot of really great, meaningful changes at the San Diego Zoo in my period of time, uh, growing revenue to record highs, uh, profitability and EBITDA to, uh, you know, the highest numbers uh, ever achieved in that institution at that time, um, really uh, spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars uh refurbishing that facility everywhere from the the redoing all the double decker buses and the parking lots and the branding we in fact we we rebranded both the zoo and the safari park during that period of time and it was a it was a wonderful journey uh, and it was incredibly relevant to me at that time so i would say you know now with with older children um you know walking into our facilities usually i kids in tow uh, I get most of my best feedback. Uh, no, you won't want to hear that, uh, Josh. But uh, most of my best customer feedback uh, from my kids, right? They will tell you right away, and they do not pull punches, trust me. Um, all the good and the bad about your facility. So I would happen to say that right now, uh, it's exactly the right time for me um, in this business, creating uh, memories for kids just like mine. Um, and, we're, and we're doing it uh, at a pretty deep clip. So I think... Uh, coming full circle on that answer, I think the most important thing I've learned in my career is that do something that matters to you, right? And if you do it um, in 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 a way that's not just a job, um, it's really not it, not to be cliche, but it's really not work, right? It's it's a passion project, um, and uh, you know I, I've never felt like I've traded time for money in that regard. I've always felt like the work I was doing was really important. Um, because it was important to me. Thank you uh, so much for for sharing all that. It's really really fascinating and very inspiring too. I, I am curious with with all of that. How do you take all of those lessons and that mindset and that mentality and really infuse it to everything maybe on you know on a day to day basis and and really spreading that message throughout the entire team down to the frontline staff at every single one of the uh, of the five star parks. I mean, boy, I, I could tell you, I, I wish I had an opportunity to share stories with everybody that worked with us, the thousands of people uh, that that sort of bring the hospitality to life in our facilities. It's a tough thing to do, uh, but we, we do focus on communication as a core strategy. It's sort of generally two things, right? Uh, you, you, when you're when creating a culture, it, from our perspective, um, it has to do with being able to center all your activities around a core set of principles, right? So um, I, I would say for us, um, our core uh, core values and, and, and core principles are integrity. We do what's right. Accountability. We embrace individual ownership and act with a sense of urgency. Teamwork. We do our part and support each other to achieve our goals. 
safety we ensure our parks are safe and secure for all our guests and employees service we provide exceptional service to our team guests and communities inclusiveness we embrace diversity and inclusion and performance we win by driving results so and and that again is not just um core values written on a sheet of paper uh we begin um all of our strategic planning sessions with a deep review of are these the right uh uh you know values uh, for our organizations in fact several have been added a couple have been off as we've uh moved through we want to be able to make sure that all of our decisions are made through the lens of are we are we um, building the type of company we want to build and and that percolates down in a uh in a variety of ways right um uh, we try to communicate as much as we can. Uh, in fact, we have a challenge internally. I say, I would love to have our employees complain on the next employee opinion story that we communicate too much. So if if anything, you know, I would say that we get our teams together a ton. We uh, communicate on calls a ton. Uh, we visit our parks a lot. Um and uh you know we 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 engage as much as we can on a one-on-one -on -one level but in reality uh our primary focus is on uh hiring and developing uh great general managers right because the gms if you've got 27 facilities our gms like we our our chief operating officer uh west marks often says um you know we may be the most influential people but the gms are really the most important uh, if we hire and support uh, the general manager level um, and, and make that a you know massive priority for us, those are the teams that are interacting with with our teams on site and ultimately our our guests. So uh, a significant focus on um, how we communicate to, how we incentivize, how we how and the types of people we hire uh, at the at the GM level and at the store management level. And we also uh, we empower um, uh, that group to make decisions and uh, and try to be able to provide uh, you know whatever tools and resources and reporting and everything we possibly can um, because we really do hire great people and we trust them to run their businesses. John, I'm wondering if we could uh, dive a little deeper um, into those principles and maybe not so much the principles themselves, but how you got there. Um, because I think one of the really interesting and important things that you said was that you've added some over the over the, the course of time, which to me means that they're they're a part of a living document. Right. And I think a lot of times people will will put those you know values out there and they'll put them on a poster and they'll put them on a wallet card and kind of forget about them sometimes. And, you know, they never review them or they never um, bring them to life. So I'm curious what that process was like and how you continue that process to kind of refine and hone those principles that you you live by. You know, that's a great question. I mean, it came from uh, our very first strategy session. So we use a one page uh, strategic plan for those listening. You won't be able to see it, but that we use a single one page strategic plan and that uh that strategic plan lays out our uh our five-year uh big hairy audacious goal from a growth perspective our uh core values and culture um what we believe to be the um, strengths and weaknesses of our business the opportunities the typical swat analysis um our our goals for the year our uh, key priorities and strategies well that 
I, I say that not just because we created a document, but this document then accompanies every major meeting that we have. So we're, we're, we're updating it, we're sending it out, and we review this document to be able to make sure we're on track with our growth plan, um, with our people plan, um, with our guest services plan, with our capital plan. Uh, all of those are, are accompanied by this single sort of general guiding principle. So, you know, getting the core values on that page um, you know, is, is essentially a North star, uh, that brings us back to, are we doing the right things right consistently in all, in, in the regard of all those things. Now, um, we did sit down in a strategy session, uh, with our, uh, leadership team. Um, and we brainstormed, uh, you know, uh, because again, we're only a couple of years old, but our mission vision values as many companies do, but we spent a lot of time, probably a full day, trying to say what is the the lens through which we will be viewing all of our actions and those are the ones that percolated to the top and you know we've d- uh, developed um new definitions in some case but things like integrity you know that's an easy one right we're going to do this right quite simply and many many times I, I can't tell you the number of times we've come to a hard decision uh it could be a, an economic decision it could be a decision related to a person um you know or any other decision for that matter and it's real simple if, if there's a debate we go back and say wait a minute we're gonna do what's right what do you think the right thing to do is do that right and it's uh the other key component of that is it's super simple right so from a decision making and a leadership perspective it's not tough to remember we're gonna do what's right and not many people are are going to dispute that one um and we live by it frankly you know safety you cannot compromise safety Someone gets hurt in one of our facilities. It's a it's a game ender, not only from a business perspective, but uh, but it's not what we're here to do, <laughs> right? We're here to make sure that people are you know having clean, safe fun, and uh, um, that they walk away with wonderful memories and getting hurt. Uh, that's not a part of that uh, set of objectives. So, I'm not sure if I answered your your question entirely, but um, mo- most of these were really obvious to us. Um, many uh, where we felt like there might be a gap. And most ex- uh, uh, recent example was was performance. It's like great to run a great company, but if you're not growing the business and improving the business that you own and operate, well, you know, the, it's a good hobby, but not a great business. So um, we went back and refined our our, uh, our definition around performance recently, and I'm sure it will continue to evolve as our uh, as our culture sort of unveils itself. I read the book Scaling Up a few years ago. Sounds like you're you're following that uh, that plan to a T. At least uh, kind of the I remember the one page strategic plan and and all of that and the way that the core values and the way that the the meetings are aligned. Uh, what have been some of the challenges of of this you know very rapid growth of just you know 27 parks in less than two years and uh, and just in in scaling in general? I would certainly say that geography is a challenge. Um, you know, getting. I think it's generally like, human nature is uh, people are skeptical of change, right? So when we're acquiring a facility, even with like great references or they've had an opportunity to to deal with us um, in the in the diligence process or um, even in the you know initial conversations, I can't tell you the the number of times um, you know uh, somebody's later told me we were just waiting around to see how you guys screwed this up (laughs) right so you know coming in i think with a level of skepticism off the bat which is natural uh but some of our leaders but you kind of have to earn 
the trust all over again in a new acquisition environment. Um, and so I would say that's been, you know, that's uh, that's challenging because, you, you, you know, you, you love for people to, um, when you buy them, you know, get really excited and get behind the mission, all the things that we just talked about, but trust is earned over time, right? Uh, you have to tell people what you're going to do and then you have to do it. Um, and, and, and over time people then, you know, sort of buy into what, what you're selling and also you have to win, right? If, uh, you got to win a few games before, you know, that team goes, wow, uh, there's something new, right? If you just do what's always been done, then you get what's always been gotten and, and the team won't understand why a change was made. So like I say, it's, it's that time of sort of creating build it, uh, a buy-in, um, it's uh it's you know it's 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 building the relationships with the team members who are you know most important in operating the business um yeah i think some of those are uh are the biggest challenges that we've had but it's been fun they've been fun challenges i gotta say like that that has been that's part of doing what we do um is that we've enjoyed the heck out of having an opportunity to meet all these new teams and i do have to go on record for saying i've been in a lot of industries I have never met a better, uh, uh, more collaborative group of people, specifically than in, than our family entertainment business. I mean, all aspects of hospitality, people tend to be friendly, but uh, there's nothing like working in the family entertainment center business for collaboration, teamwork, and um, and and great great uh, core values. Frankly, I've found so far, so it's been an easy fit in most cases. So I'm wondering if you can um, maybe peel back that onion a little bit, as Josh and I like to say. Um, you talk about that collaboration and the different industries that you've been in. What do you think it is that brings the folks in this industry together and creates this sense of collaboration? I don't know if it's that the industry is made up, in fact, of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, the the nature of the fun business in general. Um, the amount of time or, or uh, I, you know, the people that we interact with, uh, the owner operators of the family entertainment business, we're really, in many cases, it's not an old industry, right? It's called it 40 years old. Uh, and it's been evolving over that 40 year period of time. And so the people that we've had a, a, a wonderful opportunity to deal with have been innovators in the space in and of their own right. And so I don't know whether it's that forward movement and innovation and personal buy-in. Um, everyone's generally so proud of their facilities. Um, it's not it's not been overrun by, you know, a corporate behemoth. Um, so there's still a lot of passion and people love talking about it. I'm sure you've seen it at Ayapa. Um, every social event, every um, you know meeting we've had at Ayapa or any of the other FEC, um, you know. Uh, you know, meetings, conventions, et cetera. Um, everyone's quite uh, ready and available to talk about innovation. Um, I mean, right down to, in some cases, how they're making money, what they're doing with tickets. Um, and, uh, you know, we try to do the same, but it's just, it's such a, it's such a wonderful collaborative environment um, and non-competitive. And maybe the other reason is like, uh, um, you know, typically when there's a family entertainment uh, a large format uh, family entertainment center in a market, um, you know, somebody doesn't go open one up right next door, right? There's room for everyone is what I'm trying to say. So it's not like a, we've seen markets that have been wildly overcrowded and therefore ultimately competitive. Um, in, in fact, in some uh, places where we open family entertainment centers and then have a, what would classically be considered a competitor come into the market, we both go up. 
Um, So I think there's, there's something to that as well, where there's like no need to be competitive when there's plenty of food for everyone to eat. I have a question. This will kind of connect some of the dots and, and goes back to one of the things that you said earlier. You talked about, uh, you know, when you were younger and and when you go stay at a hotel that you saw that as a luxury. Uh, and, and you talk about kind of, you know, entering the room through an interior hallway, not from, you know, not from the exterior. Uh, would love to kind of like transfer that into the FEC and micro amusement park space. Do you see the, you know, the venues that Five Star is operating, uh, these are also luxuries to the people that are visiting? Oh, absolutely. Um, we never take for granted um, that we're competing for uh, a limited share of wallet, especially in the present environment with um, significant levels of inflation and, you know, uh, uh, and, and other entrance to the market, frankly. Um, but uh, but no, no, we, we absolutely do. And I think that's shown uh, we've invested in um uh, heavily in capital and every single brand that we've acquired this far. Uh, we bought a brand called Celebration Station. Uh, we've we've owned that uh, brand a couple of years now, but already we have entirely rebranded, bought, you know, dozens of games for each facility, um, you know, uh, provided, uh, you know, lat, lat, one, of, one of our, um, uh, you know, internal statements is it can be old, but it can't be, or broken. Um, so we fixed everything that's been broken. And, you know, I mean, we talk about this all the time is that when I walk into a center, uh, I act like my picture's on the front door. That represents me. And if my friends or family go there, um, I want them to say wonderful things about it. So, yeah, from a, from a training and development, as I've talked about, our investment in our general managers, um, our aggressive capital plan. Um, yeah, we, uh, we, 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 we certainly feel like our facilities are um, a luxury in the eyes of those who um, choose to spend their day and their money with us. So, John, you mentioned when you were talking about your your one sheet strategic plan, you said, "What does Five Star look in look look like in five years?" So, I'm sure there's things you can't share with us that might be in the works, but I'm curious if you can give us a little glimpse into kind of your thought process of what's next for the brand. It's a great question. So we recently um, acquired two brands, uh, one called Malibu Jacks, which you may be familiar with, uh, you know, multiple locations in uh, Indiana and Kentucky, Scene 75, uh, which is a highly industry awarded family entertainment center concept. In fact, one of the, um, we believe one of the you know innovators, uh, Jonah and his team um, did a wonderful job uh, generally creating these mega family entertainment centers. Um, and we do have uh, a huge portion of our growth strategy is building new Malibu Jacks and Scene 75 locations. Um, we currently are building two uh, Malibu Jacks, uh, one in Springfield, Illinois, that uh, uh, should open up um, potentially even this week. Um, Quad Cities, which will open up at the end of the year. And then we're currently trading paper on uh, a, a fair number of uh, of new locations. Um, I, I can't tell you exactly where we're looking to go because the deals haven't been signed, but um, I would expect uh, another, call it minimum of four locations over the next 12 months uh, to open ground up. You know, additionally, we are looking for uh, acquisition opportunities uh, with uh, with concepts that are that fit our general uh, a strategy of, of multi-attraction when we talk about 
the micro amusement park space, we typically are thinking about three or more attractions, arcades, go-karts, mini golf, you know, laser tag. It can be any number of collection of attractions, indoor spinning coasters, wave rider spinning coasters, uh, bowling, uh, food and beverage. Um, all of those tend to be components of facilities. So, you know, look, we, we, we don't um, have a high degree of interest in the um, single attraction family entertainment concepts. And what I mean by that is, you know, there are some really cool concepts uh, coming out for mini golf focused around food and beverage. Uh, that's, that's not a space that we play in. Um, we don't, uh, you know, the, the, while we do have a significant number of, of go-kart, uh, attractions, we're not really looking to get in the business of go-kart only. Um, you know, so again, that's how we think about, uh, our space, but those high quality family entertainment centers that, um, that fit that model, we, we definitely are interested in, in in conversations to uh to continue to potentially team up with what we're doing at five star and then obviously uh you, you, we, none of that's possible if we don't do a good job of improving our existing base right so we have a massive focus on um, enhancing our existing business um adding new rides and attractions enhancing the food and beverage and all the things that go along with elevating the uh, the business experience to a five-star level uh, across our existing portfolio of properties John, this has been uh, such a fascinating conversation, and uh, we only have a, a couple of minutes left here uh, of, of our time together. But uh, we are curious, if you weren't in this industry, and by this industry, I'm just going to call it hospitality, to include to include hotels, zoos, attractions, micro amusement parks, all of that. What do you we think? We got like 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 the whole industry. What, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> hospitality or attractions? What, what what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this business? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I I am personally driven um, by businesses that um, make better people's lives, right? Whether it's through a, I, I like to see people enjoying uh, the fruit of our labors. So, you know, I, um, I'm not sure, pretty much that encompasses the entire industry of hospitality. So it's tough to say that um, I wouldn't be doing anything, but I would definitely have to be doing something in pursuit of, of uh, making people's lives more enjoyable. Um, you know, that and uh, the edu education. Uh, I am beyond passionate about uh, the development of people. Hospitality at its core is a people business, right? And your guest experience will uh, will never exceed that of of your employee experience. So we spent a ton of time uh, really thinking about uh, ways to be able to make our team members feel like part of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to develop. Um, and and through training and development and uh, as so, you know so on and so forth. So I, I could imagine a, a time in my life or um, where I might focus a greater portion of my time and attention on educating you know young people who are looking to get into the hospitality space in some regard. That's a that's a great uh, passion of mine. So along those lines, I do have one more question as we sure. are winding down a little bit. Um, 
You spoke, you spoke about uh, young people getting into the industry. Um, what sort of advice do you have for them, for somebody that may be looking to pursue a career, whether it's in hotels or, or attractions or whatever? Like, what do you think is, is some of the core things that they need to be thinking about? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, I mean, not to borrow a line from Nike, but I would just say, just do it, right? You know, I think uh, success in our space is about two things, right? Um, having the will to, uh, you know, and the passion for what we do, right? To want to get up and want to come in every day and want to do what we want to do. Um, you can tell when somebody um, is in our business just because they want to have a job or because they genuinely love what they want to do. And if you start with the want to, right? Um, and and you kind of stick with it, and you let your your leaders know that you want to pursue this as a career. Uh, I've found in my life that those people they stand out quickly, right? And there are a, a, a wide, a massive uh, array of opportunities, as you can see. Me going from hotels to small parks to big parks to FECs to all the things, restaurants that that you say is that this industry. Once you're in, once you get in and you learn it, and you learn what what aspect of the hospitality business you like um i think advancement is is the easy part and and i uh I, i'm not sure that you know hospitality is uh in, to some people as glamorous as you know the silicone and making computers and uh doing social media and you know all, all that sort of stuff but uh, I, it is a very, very rewarding career and there is now a lot of opportunity so i would say get in you know have fun work hard and uh your career will take care of itself i really believe that well said excellent advice thanks so much for sharing uh john as we start to wind this down here if people want to learn more about five star parks and attractions or if they want to get a hold of you directly where would you send them absolutely first of all i would say if you want to learn more about us feel free to check us out online at fivestarparks.com uh anybody interested in continuing the conversation with me uh, can do so via email, jdunlap at fivestarparks.com. Happy to connect with uh, with anybody in the industry. Uh, always happy to share stories, advice. And uh, uh, I, I, like I said before, I'm madly passionate about what we do and uh, just love seeing how the industry has grown, evolved, and uh, encouraging uh, people to, to get involved with what we're doing. Well, John, we have really appreciated all of the stories and insight and, and wonderful information you've been able to share with us today. So thank you so much for your time. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.